0: This year at Vacation Bible School, our church collectively studied the seven I Am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Each of these statements made by our Lord points to His deity, as well as showing His love for us. Each statement shows how only Jesus saves, reveals, provides, gives life, and sustains us in our walk with Him. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this lesson. This lesson and more are available on our sermon podcast. For more information, please visit us online at northbryantbaptist.org. All right. Let's just do a quick recap, and we'll start our lesson pretty quick this evening. We're over uh, studying over the I Am statements throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus made. Um, our first one that we looked at on Sunday night was I'm the Bread of Life, and we talked about how our focus was Jesus saves. And then Monday night, the focus that Jesus reveals, um, he is the light of the world. Uh, he reveals God to us. He uh, reveals who we are to us, and he definitely reveals the path that pleases God in his life, and we, we talked about that. Tuesday night, uh, which was last night, every night feels like a Wednesday night during Bible school week. So last night was Tuesday night. Jesus protects, he is the door of the sheep, and he is also the shepherd of the sheep, and we talked about those things last night. Um, And a big part of the lesson last night is just that juxtaposition between Jesus and false leaders. False leaders do not care about you, but Jesus does. Um, And then tonight, the focus is that Jesus gives life. Um, We're gonna be in John chapter 11, so you can turn there. Uh, If you're not already there, you may have your workbook open there. John chapter 11, and we'll see the, the I am statement that Jesus made. I am the resurrection and the life. And we'll look at that here in a little bit. But we're going to cover most of chapter 11 uh, tonight, at least a, a, large, a large portion of it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 called death the last enemy. Death is a bad thing, death is an enemy. Habakkuk the prophet described death as something that has just this unquenchable greed. And it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Habakkuk mentions that, uh, I'm gonna read a verse here, Habakkuk 2.5. Habakkuk wrote, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, or the grave, like death He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Sometimes we say that God is no respecter of persons, right? And that's true. Paul said that in Romans. Death is also no respecter of persons. Death, death comes for every man, right? The Bible says it's appointed for every man to die once and then the judgment. Um, And, Ultimately, death is a consequence of sin. We know that from Genesis, God told Adam and Eve that you could eat of the trees of the garden except for this one tree, and the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And we know the story, Eve was tempted, she ate the fruit, Adam knew exactly what he was doing, and he disobeyed God and he ate the fruit and he died. He was immediately separated from God spiritually, and then he did die physically as well, and all of those things passed to us as well because we were in Adam. He was the head of the human race and we're all born sinners. We sin, um, we, we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. And death is one of the consequences or even the ultimate consequence of sin. And death, again, is one of those things that has no respect to persons. Um, probably everyone in this room has faced the death of a loved one in their life. If you haven't, you will. That's not, to, that's not to depress you, it's just part of life. Um, sometimes we go to funerals and if they're for a really close family member or a close friend or a church member or something, funerals are tough, okay? They're not fun. Now sometimes when we have a funeral for, a, uh, for someone who we know is saved and you know, has lived a, a, a fruitful life for the Lord, in a strange way there's joy at that funeral doesn't mean there's happiness. Um, I always think, think think back to Miss Geneva's funeral. Um, it was joyful actually, even though we were mourning her loss. Um, but death is, death is bad. It's evil. It is, it is a consequence of sin. and when we face death in our lives, um, it's probably one of the most difficult trials in life because it just leaves us feeling totally helpless. There's nothing you can do to bring that person back. The best doctors in the world, the best surgeons in the world can sometimes prolong life. But they can't stop death. But we know someone who can. And we'll see that in John chapter 11 tonight. Um, The background for this lesson is a little bit shorter, and then we'll jump into chapter 11. Um, I wrote here on the, let's see, on this side, I I mentioned this last night, that there's four Messianic miracles. Um, These are four miracles that traditionally the Jews developed in their theology. That these are very special, very important miracles that only the Messiah would be able to perform. And when he performed these, they would know him. They would, uh, these miracles would be indisputable evidence of who he is. And Jesus performed all these miracles. We, um, last night I mentioned one was cleansing a Jewish leper and casting a demon from a mute man. Those two we didn't talk about during Bible school, but those are two of the other four. Last night we did look a little bit at his healing a man born blind in John chapter 9. And then the fourth one we're going to see tonight. The, the fourth messianic miracle was that they believed their Messiah would raise someone from the dead who had been dead longer than three days. And the reason why that makes a difference um, or the the, the amount of time, the reason why that's different is it has to do with a Jewish traditional belief about death. Uh, The Jews had a traditional belief that after someone died, their spirit sort of hovered over their corpse for three days, trying to re-energize it, trying to re-enter it. Um, Now, that's not a biblical teaching, okay? You cannot find that teaching in the Bible. It's just what However, they developed that over time. It was their traditional cultural belief. However, they believed that after three days, the Spirit would go on, and that death was irreversible. Now, to us, that's a little odd, right? But that was their their belief, and that's going to be important when we get to the story in John chapter 11 of Jesus raising the man Lazarus from the grave. All right, so let's jump into John chapter 11, and... Uh, Let's just read the first 16 verses and then we'll kind of talk about them for a minute. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Jesus answered are there not 12 hours in the day if anyone walks in the day he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world but if anyone walks in the night he stumbles because the light is not in him doesn't that send us back a little bit to the I am the light of the world uh, lesson again verse 11 after saying these things he said to them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him So let's stop there for a minute and, and talk about this uh, this part of the chapter. Mary and Martha were sisters of Lazarus, and they lived in Bethany, just a small village just outside of, of Jerusalem. And they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus, their brother, was sick. Why do you think they did that? Because Jesus could heal him. They knew Jesus could heal him. We're going to read um, a little bit later in the chapter. Both sisters tell Jesus. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died, okay? They know the power of Jesus. They trust him, and they, of course, they, they want to reach out to him when their brother's sick. Um, I don't know if it's a, exactly the same application, but when you're sick, do you pray? Or when you somebody's sick that you know, you pray, you reach out to the Lord? I think that's a little bit similar to what they're doing here. It's not exactly the same, but Lazarus is sick to the, to the point of death, and they reach out to Jesus, and they they tell him that um that Lazarus is sick. Now, even though we know Lazarus is dead, Jesus said that in, in a few verses, Jesus said in verse four that this sickness or this illness does not lead to death. And was Jesus wrong? He died, didn't he? What did Jesus mean? He did die. It wasn't. Jesus. Okay, yeah. There was a greater purpose behind that. Just like the blind man. Just like the blind man. Both of these are the same uh, in, in that regard, in that lesson. Um, the man was not born blind in John chapter 9 for some judgment uh, upon some egregious sin. That happened so that God could be glorified. Lazarus did not fall sick and die, or, or let me say it this way the ultimate result of of his sickness is not going to be death because Jesus is going to bring him back to life for the glory of God. There is a greater purpose there. So Jesus wasn't wrong when he said this is not lead to death. He didn't mean Lazarus would not die. He meant that's not going to be the ultimate end of this. The ultimate end and result and purpose is going to be for God's glory because he knows he's going to go to Bethany and resurrect him. So we read in verse 5, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I don't think any English translation translates it like this, but the, the word for love there is, is sort of a continuous idea. We would, we could, you could probably say was loving. Um, he was loving them, just constantly. And of course, he's Jesus, right? That's, he always loves us. But in this story, it's, it's important to realize that. He was loving them. So look at what he did in verse 6. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Huh? Doesn't that seem strange? If you love someone and they send word to you that one of your friends is sick to the point of death, what would you expect that person to do? Go immediately (laughs) with haste. Drop everything and you're going to go as fast as you can to Bethany. That's what we would expect. But we are told that because Jesus loves them, he waits two days before he goes. Okay? Keep that in the back of your mind. Okay? All right. When he told the disciples, let's go to Judea, they were a little confused, right? Because what just happened at the end of John chapter eight, when he said Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to stone him. And did the disciples remember that. This was just a few months ago. They were trying to kill you. If we go back, what do you think is gonna happen? But Jesus said, look, we've only got a little bit of time left, guys. There's only a little bit of daylight left. We've gotta do what's right while we have a chance. And he tells them that Lazarus is sick. I mean, that Lazarus has fallen asleep but he's going to wake him up. Poor disciples, right? Well, Lord, if he's sleeping, that's the best thing for him. He's going to recover. Why would you wake somebody up who's sleeping if they're sick? That's, they need their rest. And Jesus just, you know, I wish we could see, see his you know, body language when they say this. I don't know if he kind of wiped his forehead or I don't know. But he just had to flat out tell them, Lazarus is dead. Notice what he said. In verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe, he said. Now there's gonna be a miracle. Don't these men already believe in him? Yeah. Yeah, they do. But maybe there was some doubt. Maybe their belief could be strengthened. Um, now if these men were good hermeneutic students if they could interpret things what should they have known right now Jesus said Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to go wake him up and then he had to plainly tell them he's dead what dots should they have connected They they should have I'm not picking on them I'm sure I would have been right there with them They could have connected the dots and said, Jesus, if sleep means death, but you're gonna wake him up? Are you about to resurrect him? Are we going there so that you can raise him back to life? But, you know, it's right over their heads. They do not understand that just yet. And so in verse 16, Thomas says, well, I guess let's go with him. We can die too. (laughs) I don't think that was dying with Lazarus. I think it's dying with Jesus because they assume that if we go back to Judea where everybody's trying to kill him, they're going to get us too. Um, I think it was A.T. Robertson, one very famous scholar, if it wasn't him, it's, it was a very famous scholar who described Thomas' um, statement as pessimistic courage. <laughs> Let's go. We can die with him. <laughs> you know, there's some courage there, but it's, it's you know. Um, so they set off for... Jerusalem and Bethany, technically. Let's read verse 17 through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb how many days? Four days. That's important, remember? That's important because of the Messianic miracle. He had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Verse 17 tells us that when Jesus came to Bethany, Lazarus has now been dead for four days. And if we understand this Messianic miracle and that Jewish traditional belief about the three days and then after the third day, the Spirit leaves and they now think Lazarus' death is irreversible. No doubt, There's, There is no one who can change this except the Messiah. Now, does it make sense why Jesus waited two days? If he had not waited two days, Lazarus would have only been dead two days. And they could argue And they could argue, and, that they that could no argue. that's right. They have no with the religion. <laughs> exactly. They could argue the point. They'd try to find some way around it. Jesus was strategic when he stayed for two days before leaving. Also think back to verse 5 when it said that he loved them, which is why he stayed. He loved that family so much that he is going to let them be a part of one of the strongest miracles in his ministry. What a blessing to be Lazarus or Mary or Martha. I mean, a resurrection's a resurrection, right? I'm not a resurrection's a miracle. But this one was special to them. And so he loved them, so he waited. That's awesome to me they are going to experience something greater because Jesus waited to go to them for a couple of days. Um, I think we can make some application in our lives about a little bit lo- about some of the things we said last night in our discussion about some of the trials and things that we face. Um, going through those trials, there's great blessing on the other side you know, after the two days or the four days. Um, these This family <coughs> is going to experience something amazing because Jesus waited. So he arrives and it's four days now uh, that Lazarus has been dead. And as he approached Bethany, apparently Martha finds out that he's coming and Martha just runs to meet him she's grieving over the death of her brother but she still has faith in Jesus doesn't she Lord if you'd been here he wouldn't have died was she right about that I think so I don't think there's any reason to, to pick that statement apart that's just a statement saying I know you could have healed him um, she had that faith and she was right to have that faith but again, Jesus waited because he's going to do something even better than heal him. He's going to resurrect him. And that's what, he told, that's what he told her. Your brother will rise again. Well, of course, what are her thoughts? Yes, he's going to rise again on the last day. I, I, I know that. Um, yes, Lord, you're right. Jesus has something a little more immediate in mind, though, doesn't he? Martha doesn't know that just yet. And so when she said, "I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection on the last day," that's when Jesus made this next famous "I am" statement in verse twenty-five: mm-hmm. "I am the resurrection and the life." So we'll we'll talk about that for just a minute, but we're going to actually wait and come back to do our subject tender and ground until we finish the whole story because the 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 latter context is going to help us. Um, but just re- remember that on these statements. There are kind of two sides to each statement. The I am aspect of it emphasizes Jesus' deity. It's the way God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Y'all know that now it's ingrained in us. We've studied it for three or four days now. Jesus was also very emphatic. I myself am. The other side of the phrase, the resurrection and the life, tells us something about his relationship to us, something that he does for us. So this, this works the same as all these other I am statements. And again, we'll get to the subject tenor and the vehicle and the ground um, here in just a moment. But for, for right now, we're gonna keep moving and get a little bit more of the, of the context in the story. Let's read verse 28 through the first part of 38. All right, verse 28. When she had said this, that's Martha's you know, confession that I believe you're the Christ, the son of God. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. We'll stop there, kind of in the middle of that verse. So Martha summoned Mary to leave the house and, and come to Jesus. And when the people that were there with them saw Mary get up in such a rush, naturally they thought she was going to the tomb to you know be closer to Lazarus' body, to weep there at the tomb. We still do things like that today, don't we? We go to where our loved one is buried. Maybe we place fat flowers there. Maybe we go to, to, to weep there. It's the same thing. She, she left quickly, and they thought she was going to the tomb to weep, uh, but she went to the Lord, and she told Jesus the same thing that Martha did, right? Lord, if, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Now we're told a little bit more that Martha said, um, but that's the same uh, initial statement there for sure. There is a big difference, though, between Mary and Martha. Um, Martha seems to be more composed in her grief than Mary, and the reason I'm saying that is because of this word for weeping uh, that describes Mary and the rest of the Jews in verse 33. Um, I've got it up here on the board. This this word weeping for verse 33. It it comes from a a Greek word that's pronounced clio is the way you say that. And it's a really strong and intense word. It has the idea not of just crying, but it's wailing. One one, uh, lexicon I remember reading uh, said, it's every external expression of grief. So yes, it's shedding tears. But it's also shouting and crying and wailing. It's shaking, perhaps. It's um, tearing your clothes, perhaps. It's stomping your feet. It's whatever you do to express grief and sorrow. All of these things are involved. Um, They're not even trying to hold it together. And I'm not picking on them, okay? They're, They're grieving a death. Martha did seem to be more composed, though. And I'm, I'm, there's a there's a there's a reason for for some of this I'm, I'm going to tell you when Jesus looks around and he sees the complete and utter hopeless weeping what happens to him or what is his reaction he's troubled Y'all help me find the verse number. Um, is it 33? Yes, 33. When he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, this is just a continual, constant wailing, shaking, stomping, crying, shouting. It's hopeless weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. We, won't tell, we were not told about that at all with Martha. She was grieving. Jesus wasn't troubled when he spoke to Martha. So he said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then we read verse 35, Jesus wept. I'm gonna keep reading a little bit more and we'll come back to that. So verse 36, again, some of the Jews, oh, how he loved him. But notice verse 37. Do you see the doubt of Verse 37. Could not this man who, who healed the man born blind, who opened the eyes of the blind, had not kept this man from dying? And so notice the first part of verse 38 then again. Jesus is deeply moved again. All right, so in verse 35, when Jesus wept, we don't catch this in English, but it's from a completely different word in the Greek. It comes from a word that's pronounced dakruo. You don't have to know Greek to see that those are two different words. That's the only point. We won't remember this, that. Y- y'all won't remember that. No, I'm going to have a pop quiz tomorrow. Name the two Greek words for weeping and wept. No. Point is just to show you they're two different words even though they were both translated wept in English. But it's very important. The word for Jesus weeping is a different word and it literally just means shedding tears. Jesus was still in complete control of his emotion. He shed tears. Everybody else around him, to use our terminology, they're just going nuts. They cannot control themselves. And when Jesus looks around, we specifically are told when he sees this weeping, he's troubled. He looks around at their hopelessness, their constant wailing. He hears them doubting his power, and he weeps. There's a lot of different ideas about why Jesus wept. I believe that's why he wept. Some people will suggest that he wept because um, he, he loved Lazarus, I agree that he loved Lazarus. I don't, I don't think that's why he wept. Some people say he wept because he knew he was about to raise Lazarus back from the grave and he was gonna you know, pull him from paradise back to this world. That doesn't make sense. He, what he's doing is God's will. Lazarus is going to get to be an incredible blessing. He's going to be walking, talking, living, breathing proof of Jesus's sonship and messiahship. Why would Jesus cry about that? That That doesn't make sense. But if we read all that in context, it does make sense that Jesus is moved and troubled and sheds a tear as he is surrounded by doubt, maybe even unbelief, and definitely, this just hopeless wailing. When think about what he just told Martha I am the resurrection and the life. These people have no answer to death, and the answer is standing right there. And it, mo- it moves him, he's troubled. So he asks where the tomb is. And they take him to the tomb. Let's pick back up in verse 38, the second part of the verse. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. I wonder if that's foreshadowing. I don't know. Does that remind you of anything? A stone over a a tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone." Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there there will be an odor. Why? For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, "Unbind him and let him go." When Jesus commanded for the stone to be removed, Martha she objected because he's going to be decomposing already. It's been four days. Um, This is the great the great King James translation. Is this by this time he stinketh? You know that's one of those great King James verses. By this time, he stinketh. It means the same thing. The same thing. There's an odor, right? It's the, same. it's the same thing. Maybe that's part of the reason that the Jews had this belief about this miracle is that the death is irreversible at this point. It's irreversible. But Jesus reminded Martha that if you'd believe, I told you, you'd see the glory of God. Then Jesus prayed. He thanked the Father for hearing him. That wasn't for his benefit. It was for the benefit of the other people so that when he called Lazarus out, they would know that God the Father sent him. So with all of that said, with the prayer said, Jesus yelled at a dead man. Think about how foolish that is. Dead people can't hear you and they definitely can't respond to you. but they can hear Jesus and they'll follow his commands. That's how powerful he is. So he yelled at a dead man to come out of the grave and the dead man did. I love that John records it so matter-of-factly. Verse 43, he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then in verse 44, the man who had died came out there's not even any drum roll or anything. It's just, it happened. I don't think they waited 10 minutes. Do y'all hear anything yet? No, he came out. He's still bound up like a mummy a little bit. He still has all the strips around him. He may have been hopping out. I had a seminary student ask me that one time. Do you think he was having to hop out? I said, he might've hopped out, you know, because he couldn't really work his legs good. I don't know. And Jesus said, loosen and let him go. He's alive. He doesn't need to look like a dead man anymore. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Now, let's go back to the metaphor. I am the resurrection and the life. What's our subject, tenor? Y'all know. Jesus. Good. We are learning more about Jesus. Not so much more about a resurrection, not so much more about life. Those are things that are teaching us about Jesus. So I just gave the answer to the others. The vehicle is resurrection and life. Now what happens in this story that gives us the overlap or that gives us the ground here? What does Jesus do for Lazarus? He resurrects him. He brought him back. Um, this is one of those that's not difficult to see the overlap here because Jesus did it. Notice what he says back in verse 25 to Martha. I want to break it down a little bit more. Verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. When Martha um, answered Jesus about her brother's resurrection, she was looking to something in the future, right? Which Again, no, not picking on Martha whatsoever. She believed in the future resurrection, and we all should. But Jesus made it more personal. It's about me. Think about it this way. The resurrection is not simply a process to wait for. It's a person to trust in. Without Jesus, there would be no resurrection. Very similar to what I said Sunday morning during the sermon that God does not exist because there's life. Life exists because there is God. It's the same here. The re- uh, Jesus does not exist because there's a resurrection. The resurrection exists because there's Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And he keeps going, and this gets deep. In the middle of verse 25, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me. That means we're going to hear him call too. We will. That's what that means. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet shall he live. He will live spiritually. And he's going to live again physically one day. We'll, we'll kind of get to that in some of our discussion. While you're alive physically, if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, even when your physical body gives out, you're still alive. You have eternal life. You have eternal spiritual life. He keeps going. He says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That doesn't mean physical initially. We do die physically, right? We're always alive spiritually. But what's he going to do one day that Martha just mentioned? He is going to raise us back to life and we will never die physically again. How's all that possible? Is it Jesus? He is the resurrection and he's the life. Lazarus is going to die again physically. He'll be resurrected again with us one day. Lazarus gets to have two resurrections, I guess. He had one in John 11 and he's going to have one later on when Jesus returns. Jesus is the source of all life. So much so that he can give life to someone who is dead. Now, why that's so important to us is that the fact that he physically raised Lazarus from the grave, it mirrors and illustrates an even more important point about our spiritual life. Every one of us is a sinner. And I've heard Brother John use this expression before, four days dead in our sin. (laughs) Nothing we can do about it. But Jesus can give you life. So when a sinner who is dead in his or her trespasses and sins, when that sinner repents and trusts in Jesus, he or she is resurrected. Given life spiritually forever, and one day physically again forever as well. We've got about one minute. Any quick comment or question? There, we're going to have a discussion, obviously after our break. But any, anybody? Yeah. Your brother Robert? Yeah. bread. Yeah. It almost sounds like Jesus is contradicting her, but not really. You wouldn't <clears throat> call what he said contradiction to what she said, right? No. Or how would you? I think it's a fuller explanation of what she said. Okay. Even that resurrection that she's looking for, even that future resurrection, is only possible because of Jesus. So it's. Don't look so much, yeah, I don't call it, what he said to Martha, I wouldn't call it a rebuke or a, how did you say, or a contradiction. Just, he is helping her understand what the resurrection is in a fuller, in a fuller way. You're right. He doesn't say, Martha, you're wrong. But you need to understand a little bit more about it. I am the resurrection and the life. He sees forever, yeah. we see just for a little while. Yeah, we're, we're right here with blinders on <laughs> and he's everywhere, right? All right. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll take our break. About 10 minutes, there's coffee and drinks and there's the desserts in here still again. Um, So, uh, and then we'll come back with our discussion time. So, let's have a prayer. Father, thank you so much for this story that you led John to record. Um, It's just amazing to see uh, Jesus, his love for this family, his, his power over death, and the way that he was controlled even when people around him were acting uncontrollably. And when we doubt you, Lord, and when we uh, when we weep uh, and we grieve like we don't have hope, help us to remember that we do and help us to trust you. And we cannot wait for the day that Jesus returns and resurrects us or changes us if we're still alive. And we just pray for his return soon, Lord. And if there's someone here tonight who has never trusted him as Savior, pray for their salvation, Um, convict their hearts, and we pray that they would humble and submit to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.